Good morning. As we begin worship this morning, we're going to begin singing. So as we're gathering, instead of having the band play a prelude, we're going to actually sing this morning. So give us a pitch, uh, Sarah. Halle, 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 luya. Halle, 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 sing with luya. Halle, 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 luya. Halleluya, halleluya. Okay, let's sing boldly on this. Uh, we're going to sing, and then there's going to be some soloists along the way. So let's jump in again. Here we go. One, two, with me. Please sing. Halle, 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 about 50, 60 women who are not with us today, so the rest of us have to compensate for the uh, deficit that they're leaving, okay? So let's all stand, and we're going to sing holly, holly, holly as we continue worship. Ready, band. every race come make joyful music to the Lord sound the trumpet sounded clear sounded for the world to hear come make joyful music to the Lord Welcome to worship. Welcome to this wonderful time of gathering and worship to God. I hope that you will, if you are a guest among us, let us know that you are here and let us know how we can serve you better. One way to do that is by filling out the white card, welcome card in the pew back right in front of you. By the time we get to the offering, please go ahead and drop that off. We would love to learn more about you. Also, if you are uh, one of us, Calvary, Please, if you have prayer requests, use that too to share it with us. Today we begin a new worship series around the ideas of identity. And to be honest, as a young man, as a young adult, I still struggle with that. So I think identity is just as strongly grounded and just as fluid as our journey is. This week, 
throughout the world, churches affiliated to the World Council of Churches are celebrating the week of prayer for unity, Christian unity. And I'm part of that uh, group of, of worship, planning worship leadership. And one of the resources that were put out had to do with how, how, imagine how hard it is to plan worship for one congregation with one context, with one identity. And then the task is now for us to, throughout continents and countries and identities, plan worship. So where we started, we started with the idea that we don't live for ourselves. So anytime we think that something is relevant to us and it's something that I believe strongly about, we alienate someone that may believe just the same but express it differently. So that very cons complex context and, and concept of identity is something we will think about and struggle with and be challenged and joyfully celebrate in the coming weeks. So I invite you to, throughout worship, be thinking about belief, be celebrating the joy of knowing and believing the gift that is faith and the gift that is Christ in our worship. Welcome to worship. Good morning, Holy Father. To you alone we turn in this hour, for we realize, we believe with our minds, and we claim with our hearts that you have presided over our creation. You have poured out yourself on Calvary's cruel hill to redeem us, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, you have sustained us to this moment. Father, we come today to celebrate your goodness, to sing your praises, and to offer our lives as a sacrifice in service to you. Throughout the scriptures, we hear your call to be a lighthouse to our community from this new Mount Calvary. Lord of love, Lord of hope, 
you've placed us in the midst of great need. You have placed us in a community full of the lost and the downtrodden. Give us hearts to see your image, the potential of your creation in each person. Give us the holy passion we need to fully love. Forgive us, Father, for our weaknesses, for our failures, for those times when we make life about ourselves rather than about you. Renew our hearts today, transform our minds, reveal the path you have laid out for us. Give us joy in claiming our identity as your sons and daughters. To you and to you alone we offer our worship, for you and you alone are worthy. Through Jesus, our Redeemer. Amen. prophet Isaiah. Listen to me, O coastlands. Pay attention, you peoples from far away. The Lord called me before I was born. While I was in my mother's womb, he named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my cause is with the Lord and my reward with my God. And now the Lord says, 
the Lord who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring back Jacob to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the slave of rulers. Kings shall see and stand up, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. A reading from the book of Acts. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John announced. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. How he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. Who you love, I'll love. How you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, I will follow you. This time, I invite all children to come up front for children's time. Hello. How are you all today? Good. As you can tell, I am not Mrs. Emily Davis. Do you agree with that? She is not well today, so I'm filling in for her, okay? So when you pray, Remember to pray for her. What are we doing here today? Worshiping God. Awesome. What else? Think about it. Singing. Praying. Wonderful. Why do we do those things here in this place? is where we worship him. This is a temple for him. Wonderful. So it's like a meeting place. So we all say, we all agree, we are meeting there at 1045 and we're doing these things together, right? Um, so you know we're missing moms and sisters and cousins and grandmas today, right? Who has uh, women in their family that are now in the retreat? Raise your hand. Yeah. Well, you know, they are doing that as well where they are. They are praying. They are singing. They are worshiping God together. Why are they not doing that here? Does it matter that they're not here? Can they still do that elsewhere? Oh, okay, so we kind of agree with that, right? Okay, we all agree this is a special place. We get together and we agree we're here to do these important things. So why, why do we do it anyway? Do we just do it because we're told to do it? Because we love God. And we love God more than we love maybe sleeping in sometimes, right, on Sunday morning. Maybe... We love God more than we love or don't love someone, and we are willing to look, look past the differences, and we just say, okay, we're just going to get together and worship God together. Do you agree with that? So sometimes we, we worship alongside together with people that 
we may not have the same lifestyle, we may not agree 100% with. I remember worshiping alongside my parents at many times when I was very mad at them because they didn't give me what I wanted or because we had a discussion or a fight about something that week and I could not let go of that. You know, but still on Sunday morning, we kind of still got together and worshiped together. Can you take that with you? Sometimes we worship alongside people that don't always agree with what we believe in. Sometimes we worship alongside people that believe the same things we do and we don't even know, we don't even realize that. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask that you will be with Ms. Emily Davis today as she recovers. I also pray for those that are not with you, with us here. I know that you care for them and you are with them. I pray for the women who are in, on retreat and are coming in uh, later today that they had a wonderful time. Lord, remind us as we go together that we may not agree with everything, but we agree with Christ. We agree with Jesus. Remind us of that, and we ask forgiveness for the times that we did not believe in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we prepare to sing the next song, if you notice, this is written by hymn writer Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts was one of the earliest hymn writers uh, that we uh, go back to. He was a person who oftentimes took psalms and um, wrote texts that were based on the psalms, but not exactly what those were. You'll notice readily that this is uh, uh, taken from Psalm 23, a psalm that we all value and love very much. We're going to sing this song this morning uh, in unison, and we'll sing it two times, the first couple stanzas, and then the last stanza, we're actually going to sing it in a round. So we'll have this group with this group one, we'll follow these folks, and then group two, will follow over here. Okay, so let's uh, set this up and then be ready to sing, and we'll just stay seated for this this morning. Sure provision. 
Would you repeat after me, Lord, hear our prayer. Oh God, in humility and in this place of rest and with trust, we say together, Lord, hear our prayer. As always in these days and in this week, we come confessing the reality of our need. We have sinned in what we have done and left undone. And what we have thought and failed to consider. And so, wanting again to rest in your grace, we say together, Lord, hear our prayer. As you come and heal us, we say together, Lord, hear our prayer. All of us in these moments are carrying all that is in the world in specific burdens. We're mindful today in this moment of those in our lives who are needing something that's beyond what we can give them as we hold them before you. We say together, Lord, hear our prayer and bring them healing. Bring to them what they need. God, we're mindful in our community that the reality of the world's sin and brokenness is ours to bear. There are brothers and sisters sitting around us now. We know some of what they carry and concerns that they have and things that are hard about life in this moment, but it's likely we're unaware of much of it. But here in this moment, we stop to hold one another in your light. And we say together, Lord, hear our prayer. And would you bring healing to those we know and love and with whom we're trying to do life here in this place. And God, we are profoundly aware of the brokenness and sinfulness in our nation. We see it in so many ways. We're aware, especially this weekend, of what we face and may be disheartened and may be alarmed and carrying big questions. So we come to you wanting to trust and wanting to rest and also wanting to be awakened. So we say together, Lord, hear our prayer. And would you come and enable us to be sources of healing and light, places of confrontation and love, those who speak the truth but do it in a way that somehow is able to be heard because we truly are trying to be your followers. 
together we say again, Lord, hear our prayer. And we pray all of this through Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. It's with the psalmist that we pray and remember, Lord, you, you desire truth in the inward being. So teach us now wisdom in the sacred heart. Amen. I was visiting with a colleague before worship, and as I left, found myself thinking of that, uh, what they call it, a Chinese curse. I, I went and Googled it. May you live in interesting times. I always thought it was like oh, someone was wishing me well when they said that, but apparently it was a curse along the way because apparently interesting, you know, you could replace that with really hard or tumultuous change or whatever. Uh, it's apocryphal, uh, as I read anyway from Dr. Gugel. Um, that was that, think on that for a second. Um, but I, I think it's, it's also a real fitting, a real fitting word for this particular season, season of Epiphany, because it is about 
interesting things and interesting times and, and large stuff that's taking place that is revealing the implications of the incarnation. So it's this season the church has always invited us into after that took place of what in the world does, does that mean? And often the text we read during these days are large and dramatic and certainly in the early days of the church that was the case as we begin to read about that. Things were changing and changing in powerful ways as followers of Jesus are saying, okay, that's, that's really the way the, the book of Acts reads. There's, there's this response to interesting times, big disruptive changes going on on most every page. Turn the page and there's another one. And some folks are saying yes to the changes and some are saying not so fast. So I know it was unfolding in the early church and the fullness of time and all that, but would, could we just agree that any time and every time has its fullness? Next epiphany reeling, revealing to us what God is and who God is, that mystery is always around the corner. I think that's the case. But also historically, I think it's true that there are seasons of change that are very explosive and there are seasons that are, where sort of these tectonic plates of religious life in particular are, are moving and everybody's a little off kilter. It happens that way. You've probably read along the way or heard some preacher say, Phyllis Tickle reminds us that every 500 years, you know, God's people have a yard sale right? You know how yard sales are. Everything sort of gets turned upside down and inside out and drug out on the lawn and big changes happen. So it happens ecclesially, according to Phyllis Tickle, every 500 years, right? So you follow me historically. Certainly it was happening in the days of the early church and in, in the Jewish community in particular. 500 years later, for sure, there's a change as we move into the Holy Roman Empire. 500 years later, as there's a great schism between East and and west and two forks of the tree emerge right there 500 years later what the reformation here it comes and 500 years later we're in these days in which we have most of us just grown up right i want to impact unpack in these epiphany days for us some of what that might mean and and particularly i think appropriate as calvary is in a time of change in the book of acts the church is receiving change trying to perceive what it means, trying to accept it, but they're also trying to live in it and live into it. So many of the stories, most of them, I think, can be understood in that light. This passage we read, as you probably know, is the conclusion uh, in, there in chapter 10 of a, of a pretty amazing moment where Peter has had this visionary experience in a transcendent state. He's up on the rooftop. Vision becomes for Peter this radical word, that the gospel is for everyone, God's love is for everyone, God isn't just a Jewish God, this was not a new truth. Just hadn't been perceived real well. So Peter immediately acts on this message, and uh, likely in a way that was still uncomfortable for him, going into a Gentile home, eating with them, and then acknowledging to others what had happened to him, and and to his fellow followers of Jesus, it was happening all over the place now. God was with them too. And in light of some of what we heard on Friday, I just have to say this, and if you want to take me to the woodshed later, okay. God in the biblical vision is always to be seen, if the Bible is read like I think it ought to be read, as moving us beyond our tribes and beyond nationalism. <laughs> And I think that is one of the ways that we must read Scripture always, always. It's out there from in here. Sometimes we see the people of God rightly starting in here, but it is always that way. And so you, you hear this line from Peter, oh, now I realize that God accepts everyone. I love that kind of shift in consciousness because it almost always happens that way. Now, I realize it. I could have had an inclusive church, you know, it's just there like that. So Acts is a story about change, and in many ways, change that's hard for lots of folks, harder for others, and sometimes those who've actually been in on the previous change or the previous epiphany, so just lock in on that for a second, right? It makes sense, because we're all made to grab hold of meaning so we do what makes our lives meaningful. We grab it, and of course we do, because it orients us. 
and it's a gift to us making sense of things, and then we feel it's entrusted to us now, right? And it is, and then we feel called to steward what has been revealed to us, and we have been, so this is really tricky because it was real, and it was true, and it was there, but the last great epiphany can quickly stand in the way of being able to see the next one. And in God's kingdom, there is always a next one. I think that's what our story is saying to us. Revelation is progressive, and it is progressing. Not everyone believes that. They can disagree with me. They'd all be wrong, but uh, that w- I thought I would get a bigger laugh than that. But <laughs> Revelation progresses because there's always more of God to see. You don't have it all yet. So that's been our experience, I think, as folks living in these interesting days. I think particularly as moderate Baptists, and I'm going to try to uh, preach to that in these days, sort of what has happened in these days in our context. And I want to retell just from my perspective what this Baptist story was like. If you grew up Southern Baptist and anywhere near my age, you're going to resonate with this because I am a poster child for a baby boom Southern Baptist suburban in the Bible Belt. I grew up in a neighborhood Baptist church playing church baseball, going to all the SBC programs, Sunday school, RAs, training union, junior choir, attending fall and spring revivals that sometimes went past seven days, singing in youth choir musicals, and knowing my way around Glorietta. I was a product, uh, and, and many of you were too, of a very powerful time in the church and in Baptist life. How would you describe it? I mean, if someone would say just a few words, what would you use? Lots of things we could say. We were revivalistic, really focused on going down front. Uh, I was talking with Hank DeHay. He may still be pulling my leg. But I said, you know, going down front. And he said, well, you know, I hear that some people maybe do that. And I said, like, that's what everybody does, Hank. He grew up in this church where what? They go that way, right? It's fascinating this time we live in. For me, I remember it sort of being sweet and sentimental. We got all choked up when anyone stepped out into the aisle to go down, right? And we loved hearing about per- personal testimonies about how that happened and where it happened. We, we were evangelistic would be another wor- word to use, winning the world. That's the aim. And, and if you knew the Roman road, well, you were mature spiritually, I think. It was a, it was a sign of it. We were Bible-toting, Bible-learning, sometimes Bible-thumping, people of the book. It was active, uh, highly programmed. I mean, you, you young adults won't get this, but we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, Wednesday night, and Tuesday night visitation if you really love Jesus. <laughs> right? Baptist's perspective was, was sort of exclusive, not necessarily unique to us, but you know, we were right, and at least righter than everybody else, and we were pretty sure the Catholics, like our friends, the Reeds who lived behind us and drank beer as they washed their car, you know, they were probably weren't going to make it in at the end of the day, and uh, so we were working on them all the time. I think of it as, as sort of an uncritical, would be another word I, I use, uh, often anti-intellectual, is pop Christianity, uh, we jumped happily and heartedly into all sorts of things in, in the mainstream evangelical culture. Here it came, the next thing, right? And we, Billy Graham, Crusades. I was at the first Texas Stadium event in Dallas, Texas, and it was not a football game. Anybody want to guess what it was? It was a Billy Graham crusade. I was there leading a Jesus yell at the age of 13. Anybody go to a Bill Gothard con- con- conference when you were a kid? Have one of those red notebooks? Anybody read the late great planet Earth or crossing the switchblade? Here it came, and we we just, it was wonderful, right? Our church experience was central to who we were and powerful and my life, and lots of you understand that, but we changed. Some of you a long time ago, and something else emerged, maybe as you were a young adult, there was an epiphany. There it was, a window or two or three thrown open, and there's a glimpse of something else that you begin to see and step into and receive. And lots of us through the years have sat in circles and told our stories about how all that happened, maybe where you were saying, I finally realized I didn't have to check my mind when I went into the church house. Somewhere along the way that dawned on me as an adult. Or or I I began to realize that my doubting and my believing weren't two opposite things. They're somehow a part of one another and necessary for one another. And I I didn't get that growing up. Or or maybe you found yourself beginning to focus in a way where you started thinking about issues of justice 
and peace and the marginalized. And you were thinking, why didn't I get this in Bible school? So windows were coming open and you were seeing some new things. And maybe it was Baptist battles that were part of it for you. And we've told a lot of those sad stories. Bottom line is you woke up, many of you did, in, in a different church and in, on a different path and different tradition into what from the one into which you were born and from one perspective you know you can say this is about Baptist life and that's true but there was a much larger story remember because there was this great big yard sale going on and right in yard sales you know we start going we don't need that we don't need that start throwing things out like well we don't need Sunday night church Ken Massey told me a story about the night they were discussing that probably here in this very room about not having Sunday night, and he said, someone actually stood up and said, I really hate the idea of driving by here at night and not seeing the light on. <laughs> she wasn't going to come in, but she wanted to be sure the light was on, right? You know, we, we didn't need revivals. We didn't need being at the church at all times. We, we stopped getting those envelopes where we checked off how good a Christian we were. That we, certain ways of preaching and worshiping, just lots of things we set out for the garbage truck or to give to others uh, and trust it into their care, per perhaps. But, you know, the other thing that Phyllis Tickle says that happens is you get up there in the attic and you're going through a box because you're lightening the load and you think, oh, I forgot I had this. Oh, I didn't even know we had this ever. Somebody stuck this up here. I didn't know this be belonged to us. So it's both ridding ourselves of things that don't connect with us, and it's also uh, receiving some things we really didn't know could be ours. I'm not a church historian, and by the way, Doug Weaver uh, thinks going to be meeting with us in Sunday school next week to, to sort of talk back here about some of these things. I'm not really, a th it, pastors are not theologians and scholars, we're scavengers, right? So I just want to propose something to you. That, that our moderate Baptist experience wasn't merely or primarily uh, some fight against a reaction to fundamentalism. It wasn't only that, though we were certainly conscious of Baptist history and convictions and principles and all that. I think, though, what happened, too, is we were up in the attic digging around, and we started finding stuff and saying, I didn't know this was ours, too. So in these days of epiphany, I'm, I'm going to talk about some of what we found there and what seems to have emerged into churches like the, ours all over the nation and the world. I, we, we've been uh, really for some years back here at Calvary, I think, integrating that. You know, Calvary was one of the first, right, to, to really step up around women's roles in the church. And, and I guess one of the things we ought to wonder about in these days is, is that spirit, that DNA still here, that capacity for change in consciousness and for receiving things in new ways and perceiving things in new ways and living into that change. I wonder if that's still here. I want, I want you to hang with me for just a minute uh, and step back into Peter's sandals a little bit. Because, like, Peter, you were some of the first with regards to the change in our midst. Maybe uh, you were out there on the rooftop a little bit and you saw something new. And that's so significant, but something prepared you for that moment. And it did Simon Peter as well. It's not something that we read or often read, but the end of chapter 9, uh, before he goes where he's going to have that vision, he's in Joppa preaching. And there's this little line that says he stayed in the home of Simon the Tanner and just kind of keeps going. Peter, the Orthodox kosher Jew, stayed in the home Simon the Tanner, who was working with dead carcasses, he was ritually unclean as you could get. And I don't know, it's one of those things like, where's the preacher going to stay? I don't know, Simon has an extra room, let's send him over there. So, but, but he was thrown off balance enough to be able to receive the next thing. Something happened to set him up to perceive what was coming, and it, it's been that way for lots of us. I mean, someone stuck a book in your hand along the way in a timely maybe not just serendipitous but providential way or maybe you moved somewhere you met someone you had a class with someone like John Singletary or you went to some training by Nathan Porter along the way somebody and you thought I don't think I've ever heard it that way before or you got a new roommate like Peter did or you heard Grady Nutt speak at Glorietta and now you're ready for something new and that's what happened with Peter. But here's the thing. I, I don't want you to just see the before, but I need you to see the after because 
He knows he's experienced something new at his core. He is the guy now saying, this is not just for us. We've got to change. I realized it. I see it. He's the cheerleader, but surprisingly, later on, he struggles. Acts doesn't tell the story, but Galatians does. That's where we see it. And Paul has to confront Peter at Antioch because he was pulling back from the Gentiles and not eating with them. So you wouldn't have thought it, right? Peter, Mr. Change, leadership, the one with the new vision, fell off the inclusive wagon. It happens. Maurice Nichol, a spiritual teacher early in the last century, says when consciousness goes up, new meanings come, right? And when consciousness goes back down, and it does, the old meanings return. Just here, it goes up, and new meanings come. And when consciousness goes back down, the old meanings return. So to say it another way, when it comes to epiphanies, we seem to be prone to amnesia. What Peter saw was this new vision for the church, what God was going to do in, in new ways, right? The forms are always changing. The divine is always changing, and Peter saw that, and I think we have too as moderate Baptists, and it wasn't just Baptist, by the way, remember that, having a yard sale, but there were some epiphanies, and I'm just saying it's easy to get amnesia. So I'm, I'm wondering about us in Calvary. We've been on a moderate path, some of us, for all of our adult lives. You know, Calvary's been at this for a good while. So is any amnesia afflicting us at all? Any epiphanies that have been forgotten, our consciousness perhaps having descended some? Are, are we still among those who can receive and perceive and live into the new thing that God is doing now, not back in the 80s when we were standing toe-to-toe with fundamentalism, but now in this new day with its epiphany? Not the one that was even so meaningful back in the last decade. Remember, the meaning you found there in the last season of life is likely to be the greatest block in the meaning that wants to find you now. We, we just cling to the revelation rather than to the revealer. We, we revere the experience rather than the source of it. We just do to all that we have loved and, and we have loved this place. It's just something to be thinking about in these interim epiphany days. God, we confess as those who cherish heritage and lineage and stories and all the ways in which you have worked powerfully in our lives. We cherish it and we're so thankful and yet come acknowledging that there's always more to see. And we want to be those who are saying with Simon Peter, I now realize that you're at work in new ways. We want to be counted among those who follow you, knowing it, it just, we don't know where it's going to lead us. So help us, Lord, to continue to be open, examining the places where we're clutching and clinging, embracing, knowing that really is never in your will but that we're those who need to be trusting and risking and hoping that we get to be a part of the next great thing that you do. Through Christ we pray. Amen. As we commit ourselves as a community to doing that very thing, I invite you to stand remembering that our staff is at the back. <laughs> if there's something you want to pray about or some commitment you want to uh, make this morning as we stand and as we commit ourselves again to this.
Pray with me. Lord, you called us to be a light to the nations so that your love might reach the farthest corners of this world. We call out to you when we are stumbling for words and merely treading through the waters of life, but we rejoice that you can bring peace and healing to the people who struggle through hardships. We praise you because you can bring light in those times of darkness. Bless these gifts we give today. May we each consider what we are giving and reach more to you. Take what we give today and let it touch lives, encourage this beautiful church, and transform the world. In your name we pray. Amen. I don't think there are any announcements, but if there are, just find somebody who looks like they know what's going on at Calvary and they'll tell you. Brothers and sisters, to God who by the power at work within each of us is able to do far more than we can ask or imagine. To God be the glory in Christ Jesus and in his church and in every last one of us too. Amen. now in peace. Amen.